Sensible chat. Budgeting made easy. Really easy. Welcome to Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby, the show that is all about budgeting. In this episode, we've got CPA Michelle Kagan as our guest professor for Sensible Chat University. She's going to share some valuable tips for saving money on taxes. She's also written an eye-opening article about why you're better off not getting a tax refund. You'll find a link to it on the podcast page at sensiblechat.com. But if you are getting a tax refund this year, stick around after Michelle's interview for some smart ways to spend or save that refund. In the meantime, Sensible Bobby has some interesting money-saving challenges that you can take advantage of right now. Thanks, Scott. I'm really excited about these challenges. Three of them I found in my travels around the Internet by organizations that are encouraging all of us to save more. Let's start with Save Your Refund. For this challenge, just commit to saving $50 of your tax refund and you have a chance to win $100. You can also enter to win the grand prize of $10,000. Can you imagine winning $10,000 just for saving $50? Worst case scenario, you've got $50 extra savings, so I think it's a win-win. The deadline for this one is April 15th, so do it soon. You can find more details at SaveYourRefund.com. The next challenge is the Big Prize Savings Account from American First Credit Union. This is ongoing, but you must live or work in Orange County, California, or one of the 16 eligible surrounding cities in order to open an account. They're offering a monthly prize of $1,000, quarterly prize of $10,000, and an annual prize of $50,000. Pretty good just for beefing up your savings account. The minimum deposit is only $25. Now, you do have to have $500 in the account to be eligible for the prizes, but even if you don't have that much to put in today, this is a great incentive to keep saving. Remember, it's ongoing, so there will still be opportunities to win the prizes once you hit $500. And the more deposits you make, the more times you're entered to win. Check out amerfirst.org for more details. Then there's saverlife.org. This one is guaranteed to give you free money. You save $20 per month, and they'll give you $10 per month for up to six months. That's $60 of free money just for saving. It might not sound like a lot, but 60 bucks is 60 bucks, and you might just make a habit of saving. Links for all of these challenges are available on our website at sensiblechat.com under the Challenges page. You'll also find my 10-day budget challenge there. Now, there's no cash prize for this one, but if you follow the challenge, you're going to walk away with a budget you can use. And you can contact me for any help you need along the way. Good luck, and drop me an email with any comments or questions. Sensiblechat at gmail.com. Okay, class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Michelle Kagan. She's been a CPA for over 20 years and focuses on helping people navigate their personal and business finances to solidify their financial futures. Michelle has authored several books and dozens of articles about accounting and finance, making complicated financial theories easy to understand. Michelle, welcome back and thanks again for being our guest professor today. Thank you for having me, Bobby. I'm really excited to talk to you again. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, too, because we're about a month away from the tax filing deadline, and there has just been so much confusion, so much shock for a lot of people that have already done their taxes. Tell us what's going on. 
Well, I think what's going on is that the government didn't really explain well how everything was going to affect people. And people got a little bit of a bump in their paychecks. Well, a lot of people did, not everybody, when the law went into effect. So it wasn't enough to really be noticeable. It might have been 20 extra dollars in a paycheck or 10. But all of that money that you got back extra in your paycheck was sort of like a pre-refund and it shrunk the refund. And so is it safe to say that some of us may have depended too much on our HR person to make the adjustments that were necessary? Well, the thing is, is they don't do that. That's completely up to you to make adjustments if you think they're necessary. So here's what happens. They made all these changes to the laws, but most people didn't change their W-4 forms, which is the form you fill out so your company knows how much to take out in taxes. It's like when you put single zero or married five. So when the new tax law changed and people didn't realize they should update those to account for all of the new changes in the tax law, they stayed the same. So the new tables that companies were using to withhold payroll were based on the old W-4 withholdings that people had. Okay, so then what do we do from now going forward to make sure this doesn't happen to us again next year? Well, it depends on what happened this year. If you got a small refund, smaller than you were expecting, that's actually a good thing. The smaller the refund, the better. That means you had more money to use during the year, as opposed to the IRS holding on to your money and then giving it back to you at the end of the year with no interest. If you ended up paying, then you definitely want to take a look at your withholding and, you know, what kind of was a mismatch there. There's also a chance that if you ended up paying, that you did your taxes wrong. Well, and that brings up a good point. I, like so many others, use TurboTax and have for many years to do my taxes. But are there benefits that we are missing out on from not using a tax professional? This year, maybe. I'm a big fan of DIY. I encourage as many people to do things themselves as possible. But this year, things are a little weird. And if you don't really understand the questions TurboTax is asking you, which I've seen a lot, or if you don't even know which information you should be putting where, it can make your taxes not work properly. This is especially true of people who are freelancers or consultants who don't really realize that their businesses this year, that would have made a huge impact on their taxes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because now that it's harder to itemize because of the bigger standard deduction, those that are independent contractors, is that different because they actually have business deductions or is that the same since they're a sole proprietor in effect? That is a question I'm getting a lot. And it is completely different because business deductions are 100% separate from personal deductions. The standard deduction increased by a lot this year. And most people thought, oh my gosh, that's great. But at the same time, we lost exemptions. You know, you used to get a little bit of an extra minus for everybody who lived in your household and you don't get that anymore. So it kind of evens out a little bit there. And because of the higher standard deductions, way fewer people are going to be itemizing. That has nothing to do with if you have business income. And if you are a freelancer, if you have a side gig, if anybody pays you money other than a loan or something like that and doesn't take taxes out of it, you are a business. 
So in that effect, obviously, it would make a lot of sense, especially this year because of all the changes to have somebody help you out and figure out all of that. So to make sure that you're getting all the deductions you possibly can. I think for this year, it does make sense, especially because most businesses, especially super small businesses, which is freelancers, side gigs, might be able to completely remove 20% of their income from income taxes. So nice. if somebody you know, had a side gig and they made $10,000, they'd only need to pay income tax on $8,000. And if they don't know that, they're going to pay a lot of extra taxes. For sure. And that brings up another question that I was wondering about, because I've kind of started to hear a lot of people talking about, since that is the case, does it make more sense for me to now become a contractor with my employer instead? Can I get a bigger tax deduction from doing that as opposed to being an employee where I'm getting, you know, just the standard deduction and all of that? That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Don't switch. First of all, you're not allowed. If you're an employee, you're an employee. There are really strict rules with the IRS for that. Second of all, it sounds like you'll be saving money, but you really won't. You'll have to pay self-employment tax, which is automatically like an extra 7%. And there's no deductions for that. You just have to pay it. That's the taxes that your employer is paying for you. You now have to pay. You'll also lose all your benefits. If you have health insurance and things like that, you will not be able to get that through your employer anymore. So if you do owe this year, but you can't pay it all up front, what options are there? Well, first of all, you can always pay with a credit card if you think you'll be able to pay it off soon. If you're just surprised by the amount, you don't have that much in your checking account, but you know you can pay it off next month, your best bet is probably to just put it on a credit card and pay it off. If that's not your situation, the IRS has a whole bunch of payment plans and you can go to their website, which is irs.gov, and you can look at all the different plans they have. If your tax bill is small, you can usually just do it online and not have to talk to anybody or anything like that. And you can make payments. You will pay interest, but you won't have any problems with the IRS once you put that plan into place. If you owe so much money for some reason that you have no idea how you're going to pay it, then there are a lot of different options that you can have, but it's much better to talk to an accountant before you make a choice on a huge tax bill. Now, what about those who try to run from the IRS? What happens if you don't pay? Well, if you don't pay, then penalties and interest rack up. And when you eventually do pay, you'll just end up paying a lot more. It's not really helpful to you and it can come back to bite you because a lot of times if you want to you know get a student loan or get a mortgage or something they want to see your past tax returns and if you haven't filed them that's a problem right there now for those who have not filed taxes already let's talk about some of the tax deductions specifically that are available to the lower and middle income There are special tax rules that apply to people of lower income, and they're not deductions, they're tax credits, which are actually better because instead of reducing your income, they actually reduce your taxes. So for example, if you had $10,000 less income and you were paying 10% tax, you'd only have $1,000 less tax. But if you have a $2,000 tax credit, that's all against your tax bill, and it's not just a percent that you're going to do better on. 
So let's talk about some of the tax credits that people may not be aware of. How about the earned income tax credit? Okay. Now the earned income tax credit is a refundable credit and it's directed toward low income people and the IRS doesn't like to pay it. Oddly, they tend to paper audit people who take the earned income tax credit more than wealthy people just because it's simple. It's something that gets flagged in a computer. So if you fill in one tiny item incorrectly, they'll hold on to your thing. So if you're going to take the earned income tax credit, and if you should get it, you should absolutely 100% take that credit. Just make sure you type in where your accountant enters all the information 100% correctly. So the earned income tax credit is sort of like a tax assistance for people who have lower income. How about the child and dependent care credit? Because I know that went up substantially this year, but sometimes, and obviously, you know, most people are aware of the child credit, but sometimes they're not aware that they can write off a dependent. So let's talk about that and what a dependent actually means. Okay. There's a different amount for children versus non-children. So the regular child tax credit is up to $2,000 per child. If you have a dependent who's not a child, for example, an 18-year-old who's in college, who doesn't count as a child anymore, but is still dependent on you, you get a $500 tax credit for that. Like if you support your parents, anyone you pay more than half of the support for who lives in your household, and by the way, a child in college, your address is still their home base. So that still counts as living in your household. You'll get a $500 tax credit. The higher your income, the less you'll get. These go pretty high though. So if you're single, those child tax credits start facing out at $200,000. The dependent care credit is for if you're paying for daycare, summer camp, or some you need some kind of care for a child who's under 13 or an adult or other dependent who can't take care of themselves. For a family, the most care you can get a credit for is $6,000. Now, is there a specific paperwork that needs to be done ahead of time for somebody who has decided to take on the role as a caregiver for, say, an aging parent so that they can make sure they're doing this tax credit properly? So you can't get a dependent care credit if you're taking care of your parents, only if you're paying somebody else to. You can get the, quote, child tax credit for a non-dependent, but you can't get the care credit. Right. But I've heard that somebody in your family can. Let's say that you have an adult child living in your home. They're 21, whatever. And they have decided they will take on the role of caring for your aging parents. So let's say it's their grandparent. Can you pay them and then get that tax credit? Well, yes, but then you also have to do what's called the nanny taxes and you have to do payroll taxes and things for them. Like it has to be official. They have to have a tax ID number right? and they'll have to report the income. You absolutely can do it that way. It's just more involved than just paying them something. Good to know, because I think there's a lot of people who think they can, you know, take advantage of that, but they're not doing it properly because they're unaware. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. I mean, you might as well pay somebody in your old family than pay somebody outside your family, but then that person's earning income. Okay, so let's talk about the savers tax credit, because as budgeting people, we love to save, right? So let's talk about the savers credit. The savers credit is for if you put some money into a retirement plan. 
If you're single, it's up to $2,000. And if you're married and filing jointly, it's up to $4,000. And you get a credit for a percentage of your contributions to retirement plan. And I think it totally phases out when your income hits about $60,000. I don't remember what the phase out number is, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $60,000. So it's really good for people who are new to the workplace or lower wage earners who are having a hard time saving for retirement. This is to encourage them and help them out, making it easier for them to save. Now, the calculations always get confusing for me on this one. So if I put $4,000 into a savings vehicle and I am eligible for this tax credit, how much of a tax credit will I actually get for the maximum of $4,000? Well, if you're married filing jointly and it's $4,000, I actually think it has to be $2,000 each, by the way. But again, I'm not 100% on that. The most you can get is a 50% credit. So if you put in 4000 the biggest your credit could be is 2000 What a gift just for saving, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Even at, like the lowest credit, if you're eligible, is 10%. And it's a tax credit. So it doesn't lower your income. It lowers the actual tax bill. Tax credits are always better than deductions. This is one of my favorites. Tell us about the HSA. Oh, I love HSA. These are health savings accounts and they are amazing. Next to Roth IRAs, they're my favorite way for people to save. So a health savings account lets you put pre-tax dollars into a special account that you can use for medical expenses. And you don't lose that money at the end of the year. You can keep it forever. You can invest it so it grows. And as long as you use the money for qualified medical expenses, you never have to pay tax on it or any of the income that it earns. I got to tell you, it's been such a lifesaver for our family. I just love this one. Mine too. For me, I've decided, and I want to see from a professional if my mindset is right on this, it makes sense to me that I would max out my HSA or put as much as I possibly can towards that before a 401k because of the fact that I could invest it if I want, but it's going to be tax-free if I use it for medical no matter when, where, how. If you have high medical needs, then yes, that makes a lot of sense. If you're a super healthy person, you don't use a lot of medical care, I would go with the 401k first. Well, the other thing is too, even if you're healthy now, at some point, you know, you're not going to be, even if what happens is, you know, you break a leg playing rugby or something like that. (laughs) At some point you're going to need it. So it's always good to have a health savings account. But as for maxing it out before 401k, if you are not a big medical spender, here's the reason I would still have people put money in a 401k is an employer match because that's free money. So I would say put in enough to get the free match from your employer, because I would say most employers who offer a 401k offer at least a small match. Get that, then go to your HSA. The maximums on HSAs are not super high. So max that out for the year. And then you can also contribute to your 401k as well or any other kind of retirement account you want. Okay, now let's talk about that for a minute because if you have a 401k, depending on your income, you may or may not be able to also have the IRA. So let's talk about how those work together. Okay, most people can have a 401k and an IRA there are income limits for how much you're allowed to contribute and based on your income and things like that. But you can do both most of the time. And I think the worst case scenario is that you might have to make a non-deductible IRA contribution. 
So you wouldn't get a tax break now, but your money would still grow tax deferred. So let's talk about some of the tax credits that are available for people who may have gone back to school last year. uh, I've heard of the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. The American Opportunity Credit I believe the maximum credit is $2,500 and that goes toward tuition and you have to be a full-time student to be able to take advantage of that. The lifetime learning credit, you don't have to be a full-time student. It covers tuition and fees and you can get up to $2,000 tax credit. You use that one if you're going to school at night, if you're not a full-time student, I believe the lifetime learning credit you can use for non-traditional colleges as well. Whereas the American Opportunity Credit, I don't think you can. So it's more flexible. I don't think you can take both in the same year for the same person. So that would be definitely something to talk to your tax professional about. Definitely. And I have to tell you, no tax preparer knows all of this stuff off the top of their heads. They count on the software that they use and, you know, looking stuff up. But they should at least have a general idea that these things exist and whether you're eligible to take advantage of them. And I mean, it's hard for tax professionals because things are changing so fast. So can you imagine for novices like us, we really need you guys to show us the way. Well, it is. You know, I took a two full day course on the tax changes and it still wasn't enough time. And they sent us home with this gigantic binder that's about four inches thick. That is crazy. Yeah, it's just so much stuff. And there's still things that the IRS is clarifying. And it's pretty crazy. Student loan debt is such a huge issue in our country right now. And there's so many people mired in it. All year long, they're struggling to pay their student loan payments. But the good news, if there is any, is at the end of the year, come tax time, that could be a benefit, correct? Yeah. So this is a deduction, not a credit. Many people can claim up to $2,500 of student loan interest. You don't have to itemize deductions to claim that this has nothing to do with standard deduction or itemized deduction. It's completely separate from that. But it has to be the interest that you paid on your student loan. Okay. And another question that I have to ask you, because I have read up on this so many times, but I always get different answers. How long do I need to keep my tax returns and the information behind it just in case of an audit? Normally, the IRS is only allowed to audit you for three years from the date you filed your return or two years from the date you paid the tax if it's later. So if you file your return on April 15th, but you're on a payment plan and you finish paying the tax on October 15th, the two years goes from that. But for some things, which most people won't really have, there are some things like some special areas where you have to keep stuff for seven years. Like if you own a stock and it suddenly goes to zero, you have to keep records of that for seven years. Here's the thing, though. There is no time limit if you purposely, I hate to use this word, defrauded the IRS, but there's no time limit on fraud. So they can decide you did something fraudulent and come back at you 15 years later. And if you don't have your records, you can't prove you didn't. One of the funniest rules about the IRS is you technically have to pay taxes on any income you earn from criminal activities, but you're not allowed to take any of the deductions. (laughs) That's great. Love that. Long live the IRS. (laughs) I love them. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
So are there any other less well-known deductions or credits that we should be aware of? You know, this year, a lot of deductions went away. And that includes most of the ones that people weren't really aware of. And I would say that for this year, the most important deductions are the business deductions for people who don't realize they're a business. If they're a business, they need to take their business deductions because otherwise they're paying more tax than they need to. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that we can do to plan better for next year? Absolutely. So the first thing is when you see what your tax picture looks like this year, once you do your taxes, now you'll have a really good idea of if your withholding was on target or not. So this is a good time to reevaluate how much tax you're withholding and change it if it needs to be changed. You can change your withholding as much as you want during the year. I mean, your company might get annoyed at you, but there's no (laughs) limit on how much you can do it. So if you think you're withholding the right amount, you could go check in on the IRS website. They have a withholding calculator so you can see if you're on track to pay the right amount in tax. And if not, you can change your withholding. This is something that is really helpful for people who have self-employed side gigs and they haven't been paying self-employment taxes or estimated taxes because they didn't realize they needed to. You can increase your withholding so that you don't have to worry about making estimated tax payments. And that's a really helpful thing to do during the year too. Michelle, thank you so much for all of the great information that you've provided us with and being here during your busy tax season. Our guest professor today has been Michelle Kagan, CPA and Financial Navigator. If you've got questions on taxes, improving your credit score, making smart investment choices, just about anything money-related, get in touch with her. Visit michellekagancpa.com. I love talking to Michelle. She's always full of great info and helpful tips. She talked a little bit about why getting a tax refund may not be such a great thing, but she's got an article that really delves into it, and it certainly opened my eyes. It's called Three Ways You're Losing Money by Getting a Big Tax Refund. You'll find a link to the article on the podcast page at sensiblechat.com. But if you are getting a tax refund this year, it's a great opportunity to release some financial stress. So let's talk about some smart ways to spend and save that money. If you have debt, throw the whole refund at it. Let's kill that debt as quickly as possible. Remember, it's costing you interest, and these days, that interest is pretty darn high. If you don't have debt, or you still have money left over after paying it all off, save it. But you want to be deliberate about what you're saving for. Otherwise, that money will disappear fast. So here are a variety of things you can save for. If you've got irregular expenses that consistently trip you up throughout the year because you forget to budget for them, or they're hard to save for, earmark your refund money for them now. For me, car registration is always a biggie. So if I get $150 that I don't need right now, you better believe I'm putting that away for July when the DMV wants their dough. Auto insurance is a biggie for many. How would you feel if your new insurance plan came in the mail and you could pay it all up front instead of having that monthly bill to contend with? Save for it now. Even if you don't have enough to cover the entire premium, it will knock down what you have to pay out later. Other irregular expenses you can save for include oil changes, haircuts, annual subscriptions, and smog checks. If all of those are covered, think farther ahead. Beef up your car maintenance or medical expense fund. Save for household repairs, new furniture, your next computer, birthdays, special occasions, anything you know you're inevitably going to spend money on. This will greatly cut down the stress of trying to find that money in the moment you need it. 
And if all of that's covered and you've still got money left, start saving a month ahead for bills. These may not be the most fun ideas for using that free money you got from the IRS, but remember, you simply got your own money back. And if you've been struggling all year but get a huge tax refund, now's the time to plan ahead so you don't have to struggle all year again. By the way, these are all steps towards getting out of the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. So if you're one of the 78% of Americans who live paycheck-to-paycheck, start breaking that cycle today and take back your financial freedom. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Sensible Chat. Next time, our guest will be Yoon-Wa McDowell, co-founder of SavingSense.org. We're going to talk about saving money on groceries, feeding your family on a budget, and the best apps for getting cash back while grocery shopping. Check back for that episode on April 15th. Until then, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That wraps up another episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, write to her at sensiblechat at gmail.com. Or you can leave her a voicemail on the contacts page at sensiblechat.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or find us on Google Play or Spotify. Spotify.